Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, why don't you stay standing? I want to read to you our, our text before we, we dive in today. Uh, in 1 Samuel 30, starting in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. We're in this season, uh, this series, by the way, called uh, Goliath Must Fall. And we're learning from the life of David on how to confront and how to face and address the giants that are in our life. Giants like fear, giants like worry, and, and, and depression, anxiety, those types of things. And we're learning from the original giant killer himself, David. It says this in 1 Samuel 30, that three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of, of Ziklag, you need to know David is kind of on the run, and David has gathered an army, and he's, he's constantly, it seems like, in battles fighting the enemy in his life. It says, when he arrived home, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Verse three, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, look at this, they wept until they could weep no more. I wonder if any of you have ever been there, in that place that you've wept and you thought you cried every tear that you possibly could cry, but come to find out there was still more left in you and you continued to weep until you could weep no more. It says this, um, David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were, were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. One translation says they had a bitter spirit and they had a bitter soul. And they began to talk of stoning David, but David found strength in the Lord his God. And he said to the priest, Abiathar, bring me the ephod. Everybody say ephod. Now I just want some of you to know that today you're gonna get your ephod back. You don't even know what it is. But by the time that we're done today, you're gonna want your ephod. So Abiathar brought it, and then David asked of the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that has been taken from you. Let me read verse 18 and 19 real quick. David got back everything, everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, great or small, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought back everything. Somebody shout everything. I believe that for some of you today, that the things that the enemy has taken from you, today you're going to get it back. I'm believing that nothing that's been taken, that God wants to bring back into your life. God, we pray right now that your word would speak to us, God, that it would meet us in these moments that we feel overwhelmed or anxious about the future or just there's this fear of the unknown God that that your word would preach to our hearts and that we would leave here changed we would leave here different we would leave here with our our head held high and our shoulders back knowing God that you want to meet us even in our lowest moments just like you did for David we ask these things in Jesus name everybody said amen amen you can have a seat I've been having such a good time in this series, learning from the life of David. I don't know if you have. I have. I've really enjoyed kind of the text that we've been going through. And before I, I kind of really um, 
draw out what I believe God has for us today, I want to give you one announcement that I'm super excited about. Something that we have been praying about as a church for a long time, really something we feel like is a next step in, in just the, the direction that God has for us, and that is starting October 7th, we're going to have what's called First Wednesdays. And First Wednesdays really is every single first Wednesday of the month, we're going to come together we're going to worship. There's going to be extended worship. There's going to be kind of taking of the sacraments. We're going to have communion and baptism. We're going to hear a word, and it's just going to be a great night for us to, to come together and say, hey, God, we're setting apart the first of our month for you every first Wednesday, and we're going to dedicate it to you. So I want every one of you to put it on your calendar. It's at 7 o'clock on October 7th. There will be child care available because we want you to be here, and it's just going to be a great night to celebrate with some people going public with their faith in baptism. Again, we're going to have communion together, and it's just going to be an awesome, uh, I think, experience as we move forward to all that God has for us. So mark it on your calendar now. Every first Wednesday. I don't care if you have a kidney transplant. You need to move it, all right? You need to be here for every first Wednesday. Um, I think that in this season, God wants to move us from this this kind of idea that we've been shrinking back in fear a little bit with all that we're faced with and starting to rise up uh, with faith. In a season that's been marked by worry, it's been marked by, by pain, it's been marked by anxiety and depression and all those things, I think today God just wants us to get real and raw about where we are. And I say that because I think sometimes church is the place where we often lie the most. It's a little bit of nervous laughter. What do you mean? I mean, church is a place where we can put on our masks. And I'm not talking about the masks that we've been wearing lately. I'm talking about our figurative masks because you'll walk through the doors and someone will say, hey, how are you? It's good to see you. And you'll respond to them by saying, I'm fine. When the reality is in your mind, you know you're not fine. In fact, it could have been the week from hell in your life. Maybe school was canceled again or, or somebody in your life got, you know, the, the sickness and it was just something you know you're not fine, but we put on our figurative masks. And I, I know some of you are thinking, Colby, yeah, well, we just, we just started wearing masks. No, some of you, you've been wearing masks for a long time, for a long time in your life. And I think church is often the place that we'll put on those masks and pretend like everything is good. And I just think today... And maybe as we move forward in this season that God just wants to meet you right where you are. Distress, pain, hurt, all of it for us to take off the masks that we wear and trade them for the ephod. In fact, I'm calling this message where we're trading in our masks for the ephod. In fact, if statistics are true, depression, anxiety, um, Abuse, worry, fear, all those things are on the rise at an alarming rate in the U.S. and really all over the world. It was just this week I received a text from a friend who is a counselor here in Erie, and he, what he said was people are coming in like they never have before, dealing with all these issues of abuse in the home and fear and depression. He said, Colby, I'm seeing 10 more people per week than I used to see. Like when, since all this has started, counselors' offices are full of people uh, going into them, and it's caused by a lot of different things, like this fear, worry, and depression. Of course, you know, there's a pandemic going on that amplifies all those things in our life, but I would submit to you that the pandemic crisis kind of just reveals what's under the surface, that some of that stuff has been happening. 
And crisis just has a way of revealing the cracks, right? I think there's always been some abuse. Maybe there's been some neglect. Maybe there's been bad communication in the home. Maybe the marriage looked great on the outside, but how many of you know, now that you've spent the last six months in close quarters together, 24-7, all up in each other's grill, right? It's a different story. And so we have a lot going on with, with the crisis, a lot of fear and worry. And I would say this too, that the church historically has not done a great job in saying that it's okay that you're not okay. Because what we often do is, is encourage people to wear their masks without really encouraging them to wear their masks. And I know maybe a lot of churches will say that because it's become kind of a, a buzz thing to say, hey, it's okay that you're not okay. But the reality is the way they treat you when you walk in the building doesn't say it's okay that you're not okay. In fact, what they're, they're communicating is it's not okay that you're not okay and don't come back until you're okay, okay, right? That's what it seems like they're communicating. Let me just tell you, if you're here in this room or you're watching online, you need to know that it's okay that you're not okay. But if I could play Dr. Seuss, it's not okay that you stay that way. Are you with me? God does not want you to stay there. God does not want you to constantly live your life with this figurative mask on, hiding behind the mask. And we projected a message a lot of times that says, hey, it's not okay that you're not okay. And so what happens because of that, we sweep things under the rug. We pretend like it doesn't exist. We walk into our church with our everything's fine face on, or we'll walk into our small groups and we'll pretend like everything is wonderful because after all, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a believer, if I'm faith-filled, then everything should be fine in my life. And so we pretend like everything is good because if I had really had faith, then I shouldn't uh, be suffering. I should be fine. I don't know who told you that, but it's a lie. And so instead of what happens is we often compartmentalize our life. And when we compartmentalize our life, what we're doing is we're living with a lack of integrity. Colby, how does, how does that work? Here's how it works. The word integrity, we generally think means um, you're, 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 you don't lie, that you're generally a trustworthy person, person if you have integrity, but that's not what integrity means. Did you know that? Integrity uh, comes from the word integer. Where's all my mathletes? We got some mathletes in the room. Integer. I'm going to take you back to school. And an integer just means the whole. It means something that is, is complete. So when you have integrity, you are a whole person. You are complete in and of your, yourself. In other words, I don't live in a compartmentalized life. I have integrity. I'm whole. I'm complete. But some of us, we wear compartmentalization like a badge of honor. And we say things like, well, I can compartmentalize my life over here. Or I can do this over here. And then I, I can do something different over here. But what I'm telling you is I've watched this over and over again in my own life and the years I've spent in ministry that at some point compartments come crashing in. It all starts to, to fall and collapse on itself. And what happens is you've started to lack integrity because your strength is found in your ability to be, uh, have integrity, not in your ability to compartmentalize. And not to mention, by the way, that when you compartmentalize your life, you're living a duplicitous life. You, you have to remember who am I over in this compartment and who am I over in this compartment because I'm a different, you know, me at church than I am at the office. And I have to remember that this is the office me or this is the, the school me. God does not want that. 
God doesn't want you living a compartmentalized life. He wants you just to be you. He wants the same Colby you see on the platform is the same Colby at home, is the same Colby at the golf course, is the same Colby on vacation. Are you with me? But a lot of times we live this compartmentalized life because we've communicated in the church that it's not okay to not be okay, that we have to wear our our masks. And we'll, we'll even say things like, you know what? Instead of getting to the root issue, Instead of dealing with some of the, the real pain, the real hurt that's going on in your life, we'll say things like, well, I'll just pray for you. Hey, brother, I'll just, I'll just pray for you. And, and it's kind of like, okay. And I, I believe in prayer. Like, you need to know this is a praying church. Like, we believe in it. I'll, I lead our church through, you know, weeks of prayer and fasting. We pray every Saturday morning. We believe that God still heals and restores. We believe there's power in prayer. In fact, just this week, my, my oldest son, which I can't tell you his name, because we've come to the place in our home that every time I mention one of my boys' names, I have to give them $5. <laughs> and so I'm going broke, because every time I mention their name from the platform, it's like we just... Here's $5, here you go. So I'm not gonna tell you his name. But he got hit in the eye with a soccer ball this week. And it just kind of, I mean, it was bad. Blood filled his iris. In fact, the diagnosis immediately that night in the emergency room that it was about 50, 60%, you know, kind of filled with blood and we just have to see. But we prayed and we believed and now it's down to about 2%, you know, in his eye. We're just believing that God is gonna completely heal and restore so don't think I'm not saying we're, we're not a praying church. We believe in that. But sometimes, isn't it true just throwing out, oh, and I'll pray for you? It just doesn't do it. It's just not, it's not enough. You need to go and sit down with that person. You need to, to, to be with them and say, hey, what's really going on? Like, tell me about the hurt. Tell me about the pain. And I just want to encourage somebody today that God's not afraid of your rawness. God's not afraid of all the, the, the troubles that you are facing. You don't have to be fake with God. I know we live in a fake world where nothing is as it seems, right? Every selfie that you take has 47 filters on it. We live in a fake world. You have fake hair. You have fake nails, fake eyelashes, you know, fake, just fake everything. And that's fine. You know, it looks good on you. Fine. You know, you do you, boo-boo. It's fine. You know, whatever. But at some point, what happens is, is that, that being in a fake world conditions us to be fake with God. And it conditions us to be fake with God's people. And let me remind somebody today that God can handle it. He can handle what you're going through. Psalm 120 tells us that I took my troubles to the Lord, I cried out to him, and he answered my prayers. God's not intimidated by your troubles. God's not intimidated by your distress. He's not intimidated by this dilemma that you are walking through. If you will just take it to the Lord. He's all-knowing. He knows what you did. He knows what you're going to do. And he loves you anyway. But sometimes we're like, I don't know if I can say that out loud. As if God doesn't already know. I don't know if I can take that to him. God knows what you're thinking. So evidently in us going to God and confessing to God and telling God what's on our heart and on our mind, there's something in it for us. Because you have to know, us confessing to God does not benefit God, by the way. And God does not want your confession out of protocol. He does not want your confession out of, it's on my schedule, and so it's time to go to confession. He's not looking for that. It does not benefit him. It benefits us. There's something in saying, God, here, here's where I am. Here's what's happening on the inside of me. 
My soul is overwhelmed. My soul is, is, is crushed. And here's the reality. We cannot live the life that God intended for us to live with a crushed and overwhelmed soul. And some of you are there. I don't have a lot of notes for you today because I'm not so interested in, in getting your head. I'm interested in getting your heart. I think some of you are there. And I'm not talking about concerned. There's a big difference between being overwhelmed and concerned. You're concerned for some things. I'm talking about the overwhelmness that causes you not to be able to sleep at night. The overwhelmness that it's the last thing on your mind when you go to bed. It's the first thing on your mind when you wake up. I'm talking about the thing that, that gets you up two to three times a night. Have you been there? Where your soul is just so overwhelmed. I don't know, some of you are, are so holy and you're so fine and you're so put together that you never walk through that. But for some of us, when you thought you could not cry another tear and you go to bed and you wake up the next day just to find out, no, there's more tears in there. Are you with me? Have you ever gone through that? Because I have. I've had those nights in my life. I've gone through tough seasons where my, my soul is overwhelmed. I don't really know any other way to say it. I've had days where I don't feel like getting up here and sharing God's word with you because I'm overwhelmed. I've had those days where I didn't feel like going into the office Seeing anybody, I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to pray for anybody. I didn't want to counsel anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to lead in any kind of way. Is this too real and too raw for you this morning? This is where David was. He was in the middle of this, this, this moment of being overwhelmed. As he walks up on, on his home, on his, his camp being burned to the ground, and the danger in those moments of, of being overwhelmed is some of us believe that you can't have an overwhelmed soul and have faith at the same time. That somehow, if you are overwhelmed by life, that that means you don't have faith. It means that you are lacking faith. But can I tell you, in those moments, it's not that you're lacking faith. It's that you have a broken heart. David had a broken heart. And when you have a broken heart, it doesn't mean that you don't believe God is not good. It doesn't believe, mean that you don't believe God is not, not great and God is not in control. It's just that you are overwhelmed. And how many of you know when you're overwhelmed, your mind will take you to some places that aren't even reality? You'll lock yourself away from, from everyone. On my bad days, when I want to do that, I still believe God was good. I still believe that God, has, his favor was on me. I still believe God's favor was on this church. I still believe that he had plans for my life, but my soul was overwhelmed. So the question is, how do we get out of that? If we could just be real today and, and take off the mask, how do we get out of that feeling of being overwhelmed? And again, maybe you're a super Christian and you don't need this. We're so glad you're here, Holy Spirit. We're glad you're in this room. We're tuning online. But for the rest of us, like how do we move from being overwhelmed? Because it's not letting us live the life that God intended for us. And I need to tell you that, that it's not where God wants you to stay. Here, in fact, here's the good news today. There is a way out. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, there's a way out. Come on, there's a way out. And in this text, I'm going to show you what it is. But let me, let me say this real quick. If you find yourself there in a deep, dark place, I am 100% for counseling. Like 100%. I don't think it makes you any less of a Christian. I don't think it weakens your faith at all. In fact, in the right circumstances with the right medical insight, I'm all for medication. 
Some of you, you need to stay on your medication in Jesus' name. Are you with me? So what I'm saying is don't leave here today and say, no, no, no. Pastor Comey told me that the Lord could heal me, so I'm, I'm getting off my Zoloft. No, you stay on your Zoloft, all right? Not saying that. But I also believe in the power of God to meet you in the middle of your overwhelmed soul and to rescue you in that season. I also believe in that. And so imagine, imagine the story of David where he walks up onto the scene. He walks over the hill, and in the distance, what does he see? Smoke rising, smoldering, ashes from, from the, the camp that he had just left. And you got to know, in that moment, something just sank in his heart because he knows exactly what happened. Like, he feels it in his gut. He feels it in his stomach. Have, have you ever been there where somebody's, like, like, called you, and as soon as the phone rang, you just knew? You just knew it wasn't good. Or somebody sat you down and said, you know, hey, I need to talk to you. And your stomach sank and your heart felt like it was going to beat out of your chest. Have you been there? Or just kind of slow beats. You didn't want to experience it. This is what David's walking into because he walks over the hill. They don't hear children. So the children have been taken. There's no, there's no chattering. There's no playing around. And he doesn't, doesn't know what's happened to them. All has been taken away. From him, uh, sometimes life can sucker punch you. Now, now, sometimes you can have an overwhelmed soul because of a decision that you've made. So don't, don't mistake this. There are, there are times in our life, like, I've had an overwhelmed soul because of my own sin, because I did not address it, because I did not confess it, because I did not take it to the Lord. And in those times, that is a self-inflicted, overwhelmed soul. And for some of you, maybe that's, that's a word for you today that if you will just take that thing to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and repentance, that he will lighten your load just like that. But how many of you know sometimes it wasn't by anything that you've done that life can just sucker punch you? Hello, COVID. It can just come out of nowhere and can just wreck you. Sometimes life can pull the carpet out from underneath you and you don't even know what to do. Like you woke up one day thinking it was gonna be just like any other day to find out life was punching you in the gut. This had to be how David feels. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, the Bible gives us some insight. The David, the, the mighty warrior, right? The man after God's own heart it says this, that he wept until he has no strength left to weep. He weeps until he can weep no more. He's not lacking faith. He's broken. He's not lacking faith. You can be broken and still be a Christian. You can be heartbroken and still have, have faith. You can weep and still believe that God is good. But David is so broken, the Bible says, that he wept until he could weep no more. And I think one of the principles we can draw out of this, it says in that verse that he wept with his men, with his men together. Let me tell you something. If you're going to face the giants in your life because they will come, you cannot do it alone. You cannot weep alone. If you're going to try to get out of an overwhelmed kind of soul, you cannot weep alone. It said that David wept with his men. He was, had such security in his identity that he was able to go before his men together, right, and bear their emotions, and bear their heart and their soul to those closest to him, such security that they could weep. They were broken. They wept aloud. That's why it's critical, by the way, that you're in a small group. Why, Colby? Because there will come a day in your life where you're walking up over the hill, 
and you're going to see that something in your life has been burned to the ground. Wow, Colby, that's so positive. I wish you could be more positive. Okay, I'm positive that at some point in your life, you know this, something's going to catch fire. There's going to be something that's, that's in ashes in your life that's still smoldering. And in those moments, you're going to have to have people in your life, godly people that you can weep with until you weep no more. Just look at the book of Job. Like for the first seven days, I think it was, Job's friends came and sat with him and didn't say a word. It's called sitting shiva. You got to watch out how you say that. Just sat with him. You need people in your life that will just sit with you and weep with you because that day is not if it comes, it's when it comes. They're going to have to be there in those moments. And he wept. He didn't hold it in. He didn't suppress it. He didn't put on his mask. He didn't say, I'm fine. Everything's fine. He didn't try to fight back the tears, right? How many of you know if you don't resolve the pain in your life in this season, it's going to show up later on in your story? And so he dealt with it. Some of you are dealing with the repercussions of unresolved issues in your life from a year ago, from five years ago, from from 15 years ago, because sorrow that's suppressed will show up later on. Or you grew up in a system or in a house where you didn't talk about it. You just wore the mask all the time and pretended like everything was good, and you swept everything under the rug, right? But how many of you know if you don't deal with it in your present, it's going to show up in your future? And some of you, at some point, you're going to want to swap that rug out. And when you go to swap the rug out, you're going to see all that stuff that you, you, you thought you swept away didn't go away. It was still there. And so we need to deal with it and address it. And David was willing to let it out. He wept out loud before the Lord, but then he had a choice to make. In fact, everybody say choice. You have two choices to make. When you have an overwhelmed soul, when you're in that place in your, your life, and the text talks about it, says this in verse 6, that David became greatly distressed because his men wanted to stone him because they were bitter in soul. They were bitter in spirit. Choice number one, and you get to make this choice in the middle of an overwhelmed soul, and that is to go down the path of pain and blame. That's choice number one. That's the path that you can take because what happens is whenever there's pain, that leads to blame. And whenever there's blame, right, that leads to more pain, which leads to more blame, which leads to more pain in your life. In fact, as soon as you and I experience pain in our life, it's our human nature to want to put that blame on somebody. It's in our human nature, you know, to say, this is your fault. You caused this in my life to point the finger. That's what they said. David, it's your fault. David wasn't an Amalekite. David didn't burn down the camp. David, you know, didn't take the the children but they just needed a place to project their pain and a place to put their their blame. Can I tell you something? Not a lot has changed in 3,000 years, has it? Like all you have to do is turn on the news. All it is is blaming. You did this, you did this. Man, wouldn't it be refreshing if somebody would just take ownership and responsibility for something on the news like one of these days? Come on. But when we place, you know, there's pain, we place the blame. And we do the same thing. Whenever we're hurt, you say, it's your fault. It's my mom's fault. It's it's their fault. It's someone else's fault. And perhaps those people have a responsibility in that thing. But at the end of the day, 
all that does is cause you to go down the path of a bitter spirit. That causes you to go down the path of, of pain and blame. And when you have a bitter spirit, you will just make stuff up that's not even reality. You'll say things like, oh, I bet you know, they said this, or I bet they, they think that. And you don't even know what they've thought or what they've said. But because you are placing blame, because of the pain, right, the enemy wants to take your mind to all kinds of places and all kinds of directions because you have a bitter spirit. That might be where some of you are today. You have a bitter spirit. So that's choice number one, which I don't have to tell you, that's the wrong choice. Here's the second one. It's the path of strength and worship. And this is what it says in verse six, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. In other words, David in that moment, he didn't place blame. Here's what he thought. It's my responsibility. I gotta get myself out of this pit. It's my responsibility. And the only way I know how to get myself out of what I'm in is to get my eyes beyond where I'm in and put them on something else, something that's not natural, something that's supernatural. And so it says he turned to the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And so the question is, how did he do that? How does he go from walking up over the hill, his family gone, his children gone, his wives gone, everything burned to the ground, to being strengthened in the Lord? Here's the secret. Verse 7, he tells the priest, Bring me the ephod. And in the lobby today, we're selling ephods. They're one for $13 or two for 20. God bless you. Have a great week. That's all you need. The instructions are in the ephod. Let me tell you what the ephod was. Because the ephod is your secret weapon against worry. It's your secret weapon against anxiety it's your secret weapon against fear, against being overwhelmed in your, your life because the ephod was the garment of worship. He tells the priest, bring me the ephod, bring me the garment of worship. He didn't go uh, to his men, you know, he didn't go to his friends. What he did was he went to God in worship. He was greatly distressed, the Bible says. He had every reason and every right to be anxious. He had every right to go into the, the pain and blame path. He lost his family, doesn't know where they are, lost his, his, his children, lost his possessions, everything's burned to the ground. He had every reason to go down the bitter spirit path. He had every reason to spiral into depression, but there was something on the inside of him that allowed him in that moment to get a, a spine of steel and go, I will strengthen myself in the Lord. How many of you know sometimes you just got to talk to yourself? You just got to tell yourself. And I'm not talking about in a crazy way, like you got voices, you know, that you're talking to. You got to strengthen yourself, which is so, which is why it's so important to hide God's word in your heart. Because when you're in those moments, you can go, no, no, no. My God said he'll never leave me or forsake me. Then my God said I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb. Then my God said that I am victorious. My God said he has a plan and a purpose for my life. My God says I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. That I am, I am an overcomer. I'm a bought by the blood of Jesus. Like you got to strengthen yourself. Sometimes you got you to gotta look to heaven because earth ain't working. And you got to talk to yourself. Talk God's word over your life. And so that's what he did. He got a connection with heaven. He got the, the ephod, the garment of praise, the garment of worship. So what is, what is worship? I think if we're going to trade in our mask today, 
the thing that keeps us from addressing all the, the anxiety, the fear, the worry, the depression, the overwhelmed soul that we have for the ephod, the garment of worship, then here's the question, what's worship? And I want to be clear, I'm not asking what's worship to you. What's worship to God? How does God want to be worshiped? Because from time to time, people say, Colby, why do you need to know worship is more than singing? And people say, why do, why do some people raise their hands in worship? Because that's how God likes to be worshiped. That's what his word tells us, that we are to lift our hands. Well, why, why, do, why do some people shout? Because God's word tells us we are to lift up a shout of praise. We are to shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. That's how he likes to be worshiped. Can I remind you today, worship is not for you. It's for God. But sometimes we get to the place where we think this is all about us. I don't worship the way I want to worship. I worship the way that, that God wants me to worship him. Why do I clap my hands? Because the Bible says I'm to clap my hands, lift up a shout, I've heard somebody say one time that, Kobe, I wish, you know, I wish we could go back old school. I wish, you know, I'm, I'm okay with the lights and the worship and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I wish we could go traditional. Can I tell you something? Me too. But let's go back 2,000 years traditional where the Bible says they ran, they jumped, they clapped, they yelled, they shouted, they lifted up the name of God. Come on, if you want to go back, let's go all the way back. It's the kind of worship Jesus was looking for when he met the woman in the well in John 4, 23. He said to her, the Lord is looking for true worshipers. That tells you that there's something uh, that could be identified as false worship. He says, true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Then he says, this are, are, are the kinds of people, these are the kinds of people that the Lord is seeking. He says that he's looking for. So I need to tell somebody, if you have an overwhelmed soul today and you feel like you are a million miles from God, that he is nowhere to be found, if you will just start worshiping, God will come and find you. That's what it says. These are who he's looking for. Start worshiping. Spirit and in truth. The word spirit, by the way, means breath. So it's to be expressed. It's to be uh, something that we demonstrate. So what is worship? I heard someone years ago say this. Uh, I don't know who it was, so I'll go ahead and take credit for it. But worship is anything that gets your mind's attention and your heart's affection. Whatever has that in your life. And by the way, something has that for you. We're all worshipers. It's in our DNA that God created us that way. So whatever has your mind's attention and your heart's affection, that's what you worship. Here's the way I like to say it. Worship is love demonstrated, displayed. What if I was to tell my wife, Kristen, I love you, but don't ever expect me to show you. Like, I love you, but I'm not expressive. Don't, don't expect me to ever show you. How many of you know that's not going to go well for your boy? That's not going to work out too well. So why is it we come before a holy God and we'll say, God, I love you, but just don't expect me to show you. God, I love you, but, but I'm not an expressive person. I'll, I'll come to church. I'll sing. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. But don't expect me to show you. It's not my 
personality. I'm not expressive. How many of you know if someone messed with your kids, you'd be all kinds of expressive? If your team made it into the playoffs and was winning, you would be all kinds of expressive. Then how is it, right, that we can cheer and worship and get expressive for a team that does not even know your name, but we can't do it for a God who took your name to the cross and carried your sins and sacrificed his son's life for you? How is that? Tell me. Love that is, that is displayed. Love that is demonstrated. There is no declaration of love without a demonstration of it. Says so that's how he wants to be, be worshipped. So what did David do? He went and got on the, the ephod, the garment of worship, strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm going to give you one more thing real quick, and that is this, about the path that you choose is not just for you. It doesn't just impact you. Whether you choose the path of pain or blame, that's a cycle. Or you choose the path of strength and worship, you gotta know it's just, it's not only for you, there's someone in your life that's counting on you not to have an overwhelmed soul. That's counting on you not to be buried in, in, in depression, that's counting on you. I can't explain it, but there's, uh, worship changes things. It changes atmospheres. It changes environments. Worship causes joy to rise where there was no joy. Worship causes uh, courage to flood your heart where there wasn't courage before. Worship changes things, and it might not change the situation, but it will change your perspective on the situation. So for some of you today that want to get your soul back, soul out of this place that's overwhelmed, that you have the mask on, that you say everything's okay, to a place where there's joy again, to the place where there is hope again, where maybe nothing has changed on the outside, that there's still smoke coming up from the ashes of something that's been burned in your life, you need to know that worship is the weapon that moves God on your behalf. That worship is the weapon that causes you to have courage. It causes you to take back what the enemy has taken from you. Worship is a weapon. I wish somebody would get their fight back today. I wish somebody would get their courage back today, their purpose back today. Somebody would say, I'm putting on the ephod and I'm gonna worship my God in the middle. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet one more time. God, I pray that in this house today, God, we would be worshipers in the spirit and in truth, God, that you would meet us here in these moments, that if we're overwhelmed today, God, that we would come to you, that we would lift up our voice, that we would shout with victory and triumph over all that you want to accomplish in and through our lives, God, that if we feel so far from you as we worship you right now, God, you will draw near to us, that we're going to take back some things that the enemy has stolen from us, that we're going to get all of it back, our joy, our hope, our peace, our intimacy, our love. Come on, let's sing one more time. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.